0: Hello, it's Edward, and I'm delighted to bring you this special episode of Inside the Groove. We're halfway through Madonna's Celebration Tour, but back in November, we held an event in London where we gathered together a group of fans and experts, and we talked to the audience about Madonna's work and her activism in the fight against AIDS, and also her allyship with the LGBTQ plus community. It was a great event, done in partnership with the National AIDS Trust, as part of the events working towards World AIDS Day. And we raised a huge amount of money for the charity, £5,000 in total. Huge thanks to a number of people, including Rhino Records, Madonna's record company, and also the Herb Ritz Foundation, who gave a very generous donation. Now I can bring you most of the episode. I've had to truncate the beginning because we played a 10 minute video of Madonna in her own words and music. And unfortunately, I wouldn't be able to keep that audio here on this podcast or it would be taken down. So we've cut it to bits, I'm afraid, at the beginning, but you've got the rest of the chat. We're also missing a lovely performance by Tofi Dai, who sang Promise to Try from Madonna's Like a pair album, and also the brilliant drag acts we had. Again, copyright. I'm sorry about that, but I hope you're going to enjoy it. It's a really fun, sometimes moving, but ultimately joyous celebration of everything Madonna has done in the fight against AIDS. So sit back and relax. I'm going to take you back to November 2023. Madonna may not have wanted to hear it, but sometimes sorry seems to be the hardest word.
1: Do you think you'll ever make up with Madonna? We've oh, already You have? We have. You yeah. have?
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, we did it in the fr- a restaurant in France in the summertime. We just happened to be in the same restaurant. Um, she came in, I sent over a note. She was very gracious. I apologized profusely because what I said should never have appeared in public. She was very gracious. She accepted my our apology. We bought a dinner, um, and that's over and done with. She was really great about. We it. don't. We don't believe in putting negativity no. out in the world. Yeah, no. and no.
2: both of us were embarrassed. and yeah. all that stuff came out, and it's just you know you got to put that behind you and go forward in yeah.
0: positivity. Especially when you've got
1: kids, right? It must make you think. Yeah, no, yeah. but she was
0: really. I have to say, she was fantastic. She was just. Okay, let's get move on, and that's the. You know, I was very relieved because she had every right to say, to me, "I don't want to talk." I said, "Listen, you have an option of not talking to me again," and I completely understand it. And she said, "No, no, I accept your apology. Let's move on." And with the apology long out of the way, Elton recently issued a glowing message to Madonna. We're deeply moved by the heartfelt tribute from Madonna during her celebration tour performance of Live to Tell, honoring the forty point four million people we have lost to AIDS. But Madonna has been there from the start and even in the times when mentioning the disease could lead to the end of someone's career, she still said it all.
2: I'm really here for two reasons. Number one is because I really believe in AIDS Project LA and the services the services that they have provided for people with AIDS and in the Los Angeles community and for the prevention
0: education that they support, and um, and the second reason I'm here is because I love to dance. So.
1: And danced for nearly an hour straight, along with her pal Sandra Bernhardt, her Who's That Girl co-star Cody Mundy, and backup singer Nikki Harris. They're here to make sure that I um, don't perform
2: too many nasty dance moves, that Christopher Flynn is responsible for teaching me. Chris Flynn, who introduced Madonna at this fundraising
1: dance-a-thon for the AIDS Project of L.A., is an AIDS victim himself. He's also the first dance teacher Madonna ever had, and still a very close friend. You will understand
0: the depth of my faith in her when I tell you that she was among the first persons I turned to when I was diagnosed. She understands, she cares, and like you, she knows that being here makes all the difference
2: you know he's thanking me for being here but i have to say thank you to him because he's the man responsible for encouraging me to go after my dreams to go to new york to i don't know i he taught me i went to my first dance class with him he's a great guy
0: as your oldest living disco partner i claim the first dance
1: this next song i wrote about two very dear friends of mine who died of AIDS. And though you don't know my friends, I'm sure that each and every one of you tonight knows someone or will know someone who is suffering from AIDS. The greatest tragedy of the 20th century. For all of you out there who understand what I'm talking about,
3: don't
0: give up. Madonna has embraced the gay community since the start and she stands for all of the letters of the LGBTQ community.
1: Oh,
0: oh, oh. We'll share some emotional stories but also give an insight to the positive ways Madonna has championed the people who just happen not to be straight as we go once more. Inside the Groove. Hello, everybody. I knew, this, I knew this screen would be a problem. It was supposed to lift off and smoke to come out. Here we are. Everybody come in and sit down. Please be forgiving of us. We're trying to do a really professional show here because this is a really special one. But it's so difficult when you've got very little rehearsal time. So please be patient with us. We think today is really important because not only are we honouring Madonna and talking about some very important things, we're also going to have a lot of fun. But most importantly, we're going to raise money for charity for the National AIDS Trust. Uh, And on that point, yes, yes, clap. If you've paid a ticket entry price, then your £10 is going to the charity. So that's already a start. We've got some brilliant raffle prizes. After we've chatted, you can buy them now, but after we've chatted for an hour, you can go and buy a strip of raffle tickets. It's £5 a strip. We've got some brilliant prizes. Peter, what prizes have we got? Tickets to share.
3: (laughs) Um, All of Madonna's albums on 12-inch vinyl. Yes. we have got a girly show tour program we have got lots of inside the groove packages Um, t-shirts etc
0: what's the other well, oh my god we've got the Gary Leary the original album it's the contact sheets framed we've got the true blue cover picture framed etc so basically if you've never if you don't know what a raffle is uh, <laughs> prize you, you buy, if your ticket if your prize draw he hates the word ravel, raffle um, we, if we pull your number out of the hat or, or whatever we're pulling out of have you got a hat Debbie a bowl, <laughs> a bowl. I feel like it might be a bowl <laughs> then, you, then you might well have won that item um, which is very exciting the share tickets we gonna do an auction on stage. So just to clarify, Rhino Records, Madonna's record company, have offered us two tickets to see Share in person, in conversation next Friday. It's a special concert, not concert, but gathering that's happening anyway, and we've got two tickets to be part of that. It's exclusive, you can't buy the tickets, you could only get them by a competition, they've sold out anyway. So we're gonna auction those off. All that money, will be going to the charity. Very exciting. Anyway, here we go. I rehearsed so well, and I never, it never occurred to me that I wouldn't be able to read in the dark, so. <laughs> so here with me on the stage, uh, you'll recognize a lot of these people. We have fashion photographer, Jonathan Daniel Price. He, he's, he's, he's the eye candy, we all know that. But also, second eye candy is writer and journalist, Nick Levine. Oh, God, I have to say your eye candy now as well, Peter, don't I? I mean, for for many years, (laughs) graphic designer Peter Levine.
3: (laughs) That literally kills you, doesn't it? (laughs)
0: Not at all, not at all.
3: I will do yours.
0: The fourth (laughs) bit of eye candy is (laughs) Edward Russell. Uh, But most importantly, uh, we have the CEO of uh, National AIDS Trust with us, Deborah Gold. Who is also I candy?
1: Thank you, thank you.
0: Is is I J K L M N O candy? That's that's just how much much candy she she holds. We're here today to talk about Madonna's Madonna's activism um, in, in the whole HIV thing. It feels a really strange word to use. How do you describe somebody who, who helps promote lack of HIV? Help me out here, Debbie.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think activism can mean so many different things. And like for me, it's about using the opportunities that you have, the skills that you have, the relationships that you have to make a difference. And Madonna absolutely has done that. She's used her celebrity. She's used her opportunity to reach people in their homes with messages around um, safer sex at a time when those messages weren't easily available. Um, She's used kind of the stage. She's used her own money. and that's definitely activism. That's one hundred percent activism, and it falls inside a whole, you know, kind of range of things: protests, lobbying, um, just absolutely, it's activism.
0: So you're the expert on HIV and AIDS, uh, but you're not the expert on Madonna. True. We are, hopefully. Everybody in the room is. So I I think our job today is to educate Debbie fully and the rest of you as well in everything that Madonna's done. And it's a kind of a celebration of her career as well, Um, because I, I kind of take it for granted. I was 18 in 1988, so I was educated partly by Madonna on it. HIV is the name of the virus that can lead to AIDS. Can you explain it better than I can?
1: I think you explained it pretty well, in fact. Um, HIV is a virus that you can acquire in a range of ways, and the main way is through sexual contact. Um, and AIDS is late-stage HIV, which is developed if HIV is untreated and then becomes much worse and much serious. Um, HIV affects your immune system and means that you can acquire a whole range of other types of conditions, some of which are quite kind of well-known, particular types of cancer, for example. And and it's those other conditions that can eventually lead to death and led to all of the deaths that happened. And do still happen around the world but so much so many fewer because of the development of such incredible medication now that means that it's possible to live really well
0: yeah but it's true that although it's a treatable condition that people live with back in 1983 when madonna's career was taking off if you became HIV positive you would probably die
1: yeah i mean there are absolutely still people living today really good lives who are acquired HIV in 1983, but you're right, those people are lucky, and the vast majority of people who acquired HIV in those years did die. Absolutely. Okay,
0: so let's talk about uh, Madonna, and uh, we saw in that video earlier on that she was doing that special dance-a-thon in 1989. Um, I get obsessed about this. She's got the breathless Mahoney hair, but that's before the like a video, like a prayer video came out. (laughs) Blows the mind. (laughs) (laughs) They understand what I'm talking about here. (laughs) Um, uh, and, and that was in honour of Christopher Flynn. Now, Nick, you, you've been looking into Christopher Flynn because obviously his picture comes down in the Live to Tell moment. And he kind of was
4: her in, in, introduction to, to gay life and gay culture, is that right? Yeah, she, she met him when he, uh, she was 14. And he, she's kind of spoken about him in a few interviews over the years, saying he was the first person to tell her she was beautiful, talented, could you know, do something with her life a major kind of instigator in her moving to New York. But amazingly, she's also spoken about the fact that he was the first person who took her to a gay club. And that was the first time in her life that she felt like she belonged. She'd always felt like a misfit at school, an outsider. When she got in this club and saw all these people dancing and having a great time, she suddenly felt like, yeah, like I found my people. So he was, yeah, I mean, you could say mentor. That word sounds a bit corporate now. It's
0: almost like a second father, because her father sort of was very strict with her, and she she says that he's responsible for creating the person she is but he was also not very sympathetic to certain things he certainly probably didn't like Christopher
4: very much or was wary of him so he was that mental figure that you talked about yeah I mean when Christopher Flynn died in October 1919 she put out a statement describing him as her higher power so it was kind of a a cross between a kind of father figure a mentoring and a kind of I guess kind of cultural and spiritual guide to life because she's spoken about how he, he introduced her to kind of things that she never had access to before, like opera, classical music, and obviously, yeah, like going to gay clubs. So it sounds like he kind of just opened her eyes in a massive way. It feels like we wouldn't have the Madonna that we know without Christopher Flynn. Yeah, I mean, she said that. There's a really interesting interview she did um, when she was promoting Filth and Wisdom, um, her film, where she was interviewed by Gus Van Sant, who directed the Harvey Milk biopic. And she goes off on this massive tangent about Christopher Flynn, basically, because... In Filth and Wisdom, there's a, a blind professor played by Richard E. Grant. And she said that character was based on Christopher Flynn because when he was very ill at the end of his life, he went blind. And she just sort of reels off all the ways in which Christopher Flynn like, completely altered the trajectory of her life. And it's, it, you know, it's quite amazing. Um, she kind of You could tell she's kind of going off on a tangent. And she kind of sort of spirals a bit because she was saying, you know, Christopher meant so much to me. Then I got to New York and met all these amazing gay men. And then a lot of them started dying. But at the same time, my career was taking off. And that must have just been so confounding to have all your dreams coming true. You feel like you're becoming the person you always wanted to be. And the people who mean the most to you in life are are dying. That must have just been, I mean, how do you process that? I think. We see her processing that on the tour. That's what that moment's
0: about. Thank you for talking about Christopher Flynn. I, I mentioned that the last episode that we went to, that was the bit that really got me in the Live to Tell video because his picture comes down and he's smiling and he just seems like the most wonderful person. And, and it oh, the, the, the terrible loss. Um, this, like, 1983 was when Madonna's career took off and there's no coincidence, I'm sure, in terms of how her trajectories come across. That's the time that the sort of the first cases were coming here in the UK timing-wise, have I got that right?
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh, 1983 is when Terry Higgins died in the UK and the Terrence Higgins Trust was founded and um, it's definitely when the sense that something was happening was starting to be more known in the gay community, people were um, afraid, you know, kind of, and it was real, the, the kind of zenith of that period of Fear, but no knowledge. Not really knowing what you needed to do to protect yourself, not really knowing how you could acquire HIV, um, but knowing that something bad was out there.
0: And it wasn't just fear of gay men, and we talk a lot about gay men, but I suppose in that period, that was where the majority of the cases were happening. Um, but we don't it's not just fear of them. It was from within the community itself.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's what I mean. So I think from without and within. so I think within the gay community, absolute fear of kind of not knowing if somebody you're sleeping with might have it, not knowing even really how you get it, how you protect yourself, and then um you take that kind of gay community and surround it. Thank you. (laughs) Surrounded by really serious homophobia. Um, And, you know, as the decade uh, kind of moved on, the press coverage and the way that HIV was treated and the kind of intermingling of homophobia and stigma around HIV, which even still to this day, you can't really separate out from each other, meant that it very much felt like a community under suspicion and attack. And sometimes I think... Some of that from within, some of that from without. A really hard time.
0: I mean, it's dreadful. It, it, it's an awful way to die anyway, but to also to die without people around you, it, it must have been awful. Um, you know, we can't imagine it today. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I don't want to put myself into this at all because... I'm not HIV very positive. I do know people at the time that that died from AIDS. But um, back then, if you were a young guy coming out, it was it's hard enough anyway, but to deal with that sort of stigma around gay people was almost impossible.
1: It was absolutely and in no way to minimize that. But I think the other thing about the AIDS epidemic that it's so important to remember is often people weren't alone because our community is really good at supporting each other. And so kind of under pressure from the outside, people stood forward both to protest and push for development in the same way that Madonna did or in other ways. Um, But also, you know, I think, you know, we were at our best at that time of being there for each other, of starting to create ways, you know, kind of buddy systems and kind of ways of making sure that we were looking after each other at a time when often people might not be speaking to their families or, you know, kind of being fired from their jobs or all the other kind of things that were going on.
0: And Madonna was always very supportive of her friends that were HIV positive swap over now. Seamless, <laughs> as ever. Um, so the second, the first face that comes down on the Live to Tell video that we saw was Martin Burgoyne, who was a figure that I'm sure all of you were aware of because he was very important in Madonna's early years. Peter, you know a lot about Martin. What can you tell us? I do. I warn you now, might not get through this. Um,
3: I think Martin was really important to her because it, he was slightly younger, but also it was that being caught up in the art school mentality. I left art school in 2001, thought I was going to change the world. And he was still in that like first phase. So um, they probably met at Studio 54 where he was a barman, which I think is quite cool. Um, But they quickly struck up a friendship. And I think he very much saw her as a creative collaborator. So her trajectory was pretty much already set. And they really enjoyed working together, but you could tell it was like off duty. Everything that they did feels very, it could have been in the apartment. So things are a bit hackneyed, they're a bit pulled together. But as somebody who's been there and done that. <laughs> it's really so he nice. did
0: the cover for Burning Up, didn't he? Her he second did, Yeah.
3: There's a few shots online of like showing the making of, and it's, it's just classic kids. He's cut holes in pieces of cardboard and she's poking her head through and they're terrible Polaroids and it's badly lit and it's awful. But you know that it was the exuberance of it and just wanting to enjoy the process. It's not polished. His work is textural. His work is layered. He uses a lot of montage. But Madonna's music was clean and electro. So the two just didn't mesh. And so they, he had the single release and then because of Madonna, he then got to do a couple of other artists. So in the intervening time before she released her first album, he was able to do ones for Jelly Bean. And he is well, he, one of his many talents was that he's also pretty good at graffiti art. So if you look at the um, Jellybean ones, they're very street graffiti and something that he I don't know which came first, chicken or egg, but boy toy is Madonna's yes. graffiti tag. Yes. So um, that hung around for a little while. So again, just little things that are his legacy that yeah. have stayed with her throughout her career. Uh,
0: um, he was also, t- everyone that speaks about him just says he was the most lovely, angelic guy as well.
3: So beautiful. Yeah. Like, when you see, the other thing that I've liked researching for this is they, she got him on set, and I like to think it was like a learning curve so there's some outtakes of photos some are from I think the desperately seeking susan era um, there's a few from like when she's in the like ragamuffin stage and he would like take a portrait with her as like a test shot but he's there in like the full bangles and he's got the full face of makeup on and what I'm very envious of he was beautiful in makeup and so handsome not so it's quite a it's a hard thing to pull off.
0: He was HIV positive. Um, uh, he died of AIDS in 86, I think. It was so Madonna, early. Madonna supported him throughout the entirety of his illness. Yeah. It, it is. It's it's, even to talk about now is difficult because with this this person was just I think it's just the
3: connection that you have with somebody so as
0: a graphic designer you really feel that connection I think
3: like one of the things that I love about this is like mentor photographer graphic designer it's very visceral it's 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 a research and it was like interesting but hard so the relationship that they had was what spurred them on and I can see that she felt that she owed something to him, that without him, she wouldn't be where she was. Yes, the test went wrong. Yes, it wasn't perfect. But he supported her and tried to share her vision. So the, the things that she put in place for him. So just really simple things like show, don't tell. She would kiss him on the lips to say goodbye and hello every time she visited him. So the people in the room, the entourage saw there is no issue with this. So she never preached but she made sure to share a glass, share a cup. It, it, it was silent, but so important. So people around her would begin to understand that this, this disease is not contagious in that way. This incredibly powerful woman is showing us the right way to behave. So just simple acts like that, and then the bigger acts like covering his medical expenses, which in America is horrific. But by that point, she would have been able to. So it was the generosity of giving back and being able to... Like you say, like she is an advocate and she's great at all the other stuff. But she really did, in the background, do so much good for all of her friends.
0: Um, you mentioned Desperately Seeking Susan there. Um, and there's another... Um, I'm very aware that we talk about the LGBTQ plus net, um, community and we often reference gay men. Um, and a bit like when we talk about AIDS. I just want to say that we're talking about what we know best. There is a lot of support that Madonna does does for the whole community. We saw that with her wearing the Progress Pride uh, flag flag, um, on tour. So uh, we're not excluding anybody, we're talking about what we can talk about best and and relating it to our own expertise. Of course, another um, gay man who became HIV positive that was instrumental in Madonna's career that she met on the Desperately Seeking Susan set was Herb Ritz. You're a photographer, I know you're a big Herb fan.
2: Yes, incredible artist. And I think a great example of two creative people who sort of forged a similar path with similar values. Like you said, they met on the set of Desperately Seeking Susan, and he was sort of instrumental in taking her from this like gritty downtown New York star to the international fame and the gloss of LA, which was towards the middle of the 80s. And there's been a few photographers in her life who really defined periods for her. And Herb really represents the 80s. You know, you can see that from the beginning of her record cover of True Blue, which of course is listed in the best record covers of all time quite often.
0: It is the best record cover of all time.
2: Does anyone disagree with me? No, there we go. (laughs) You know, you were mentioning the sweetness of Martin and that really came through in the research I did around Herb too, is that he had this like naive, joyful quality and I think Madonna is really drawn to men like that, it seems. I was also thinking, as you were talking, that there's this idea of Madonna as being a bit heartless and discarding people when they're no longer uh, of use to her. And, and obviously, in our research and doing the podcast and knowing what we know about her, that's not true. I with a lot of these people, they form not only work connections, but also life connections. Got one ad-lib for
3: that yeah, that I'm me. so shocked at. Um, she didn't like the lucky star sleeve that Martin did, but she didn't deliver the news the way that Madonna always tells you what she doesn't like. She got someone at the record label to do it. And I just think that it's showing that connection and that support. She doesn't do that for anybody.
2: It's Mm. very true. The three record covers that Herb did with Madonna, True Blue in 86, You Can Dance in 87, and then Like a Prayer, another incredible record artwork in 89, show also the trajectory of her changes in creative, in image, and I think they work quite closely together to sort of move in that direction. Um, Apparently also, Herb was on set in nearly every one of her music video shoots, uh, not even shooting backstage, just was there as a friend, absorbing the creative, and um, that led to him venturing into a new area of directing music video. This all started in July 89 when Herb was first diagnosed with HIV. And the story goes that Madonna pitched him to do the Cherish music video as a, an excuse to sort of have his focus go somewhere else. He was very resistant at first. You know, as creative people, we know it, you sort of don't want to be pushed too far out of your comfort zone, but he took the challenge. Apparently, he had a week to prepare. And we all know. The video, the black and white imagery, the mirror with the tails, apparently that was the most expensive thing of the shoot because they just went down to the beach in LA and shot, apparently the water was freezing cold. She was diving in, going for it, and Herb was very impressed. Um, and yeah, sort of pushed them in a new direction. Uh, that was filmed on July 22nd. And uh, in the book that Mary Gabriel just released, which is brilliant, actually, it's like a tome, a Bible, and we've been researching some things, some things that I'd never heard, and I thought I knew everything. Um, one of her perspectives which really touched me and I hadn't thought of was um, her saying what the lyric must have felt, having just learned of his status and their connection, of cherish the thought of always having you here by my side. Obviously, it was written for Sean, but you know, it takes on a new meaning in different contexts. Um, and then also thinking about that video, how in this time of uh, the gay men being seen as a scourge and AIDS being related to it and all that stuff, that this video really showed sort of health and virility and freedom
0: of the mermen. But it, it's kind of homoerotic as well, that video. You've got mm. two mermen sort of frolicking, as it were. And keep put that on MTV, which is, you know, shocking. Very good point. And also presenting this
2: subculture to the masses in a way that was not done before then. Um, then in 1992, Herb and Madonna co-chaired the AFAR A- 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 benefit, the AIDS benefit, Ampire, that's it, um, which I remember most for her Gaultier outfit, where she has her breasts exposed walking Sh- down the runway. Shocking, there's this, this, this children in the audience. Can you believe it? <laughs> she, she would never do something like that normally. And uh, yeah, great press. Uh, you know, she knows how to get people talking, and, of course, that's in, again in a time when there was still a lot of stigma. Um, and when, as time went on, Herbs, with his diagnosis, apparently he went into work overdrive, which I think Madonna could also relate to. Yeah. Um, he produced a huge amount of work towards the end of his life, and that's what led to his uh, demise, actually, because in
0: he 2002... Di- he died in 2002. Now, it, it, technically not of, age, of AIDS, yeah. uh, he, but he developed pneumonia... Exactly. So he was on a photo shoot for Vanity
2: Fair, and they used motorcycles in a a dry lake, and the dust apparently made a lot of people ill on set from that, and then he caught pneumonia as a result. And then by, I think it was December, um, he was in hospital with pneumonia. Same old story we've heard a million times, the hospital wouldn't let her in. Eric, his partner had to come and retrieve her from the waiting room, and she brought Kabbalah bracelets and sat with him. Uh, on Christmas Day, and then he passed on Boxing Day. Um, There's a really lovely video, actually, on YouTube, of the memorial service with Madonna talking, very lo-fi. I don't think it was meant for public consumption. And she talks about the relationship. And in it, you know, she's peak Kabbalah. She's being very, very reflective and spiritual. And she says, even though we can't see him, it doesn't mean he's not here.
0: Beautiful. Um, I mean, we're talking about the period with Cherish, which is where Madonna was being an activist in a way that nobody else was. So on the Who's That Girl tour, she was giving out safe sex messages. I think she gave the, gave the safe same message in Blonde Ambition, where she was saying something like, come on, don't be silly, put a rubber on your willy and stuff. And you can, you can imagine that in London, on Wembley, and it going down okay. She was actually giving out that message in Middle America as well. And we talk about she was risking her career; She really was. We know what Middle America is like today. Can you imagine what it was like 35 years ago, and you've got this woman talking to teenagers talking to children. In this country, it was, it was the only education we were getting because of Section, sect, section 28. Uh, these kind of things weren't being taught in schools, etc., including how not to die. Is that, is that what kind of was going on in the late 80s?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things. So just thinking about kind of what Madonna was doing at that time, like there are very few examples of kind of real, kind of cultural moments like that where people... Um, spoke out in public, and it really kind of broke through into the mainstream, things like Madonna doing that, things like Princess Diana going and kind of shaking hands with people in the AIDS wards. And those are those kind of cultural moments that stick with people yeah. and can make a difference. And you're right, it's happening in a context in the UK in the late 80s uh, with Section 28, which I, I feel like your audience probably knows what, what it is, but I'll say... But
0: they may not. <laughs> let's not assume anything. Yeah. So, um, I mean, some of them aren't even sober at the moment, so...
1: <laughs> Uh, Let me think, how do I do this? Uh, An incredibly homophobic law passed by the government, um, which, whilst it wasn't actually about HIV, definitely I think that kind of stigma around HIV played into, you know, you've got a cycle where the homophobia is feeding the HIV stigma and then back around. um, And what the law said is that schools and other public authorities weren't allowed to teach homosexuality as a pretended family relationship. The actual kind of wording of the law was quite vague, but it acted to make teachers really, really afraid of being able to talk about anything to do with kind of gay people. And at a time when um, gay rights had been improving and attitudes in society maybe had been improving, it really acted to kind of prevent that from moving on. And you have a whole generation of young men that grew up without getting good sex education in school right at the time when they needed it.
0: I mean, I, I've said this story before, and, and, um, but it's so important to me. In 1989, I read the leaflet that was in the Like a Prayer album where Madonna says, AIDS is not a party, and she gives safe sex advice. I was beautiful when I was 19 years old, and I had lots of offers, and I can honestly, why are they laughing? <laughs> no, the thing is, I. Can honestly think of some occasions where I could have had unsafe, unprotected sex, and I did think about what was. And it sounds crazy, but I did. And I said it before, and I'll say it again Madonna is possibly the reason why I'm still here. This is one of the reasons I'm forever grateful to her. And that whole period, we saw it when she was talking about the, the, the first danceathon. This was a point when no one else was doing it. There were some celebrities that would speak out, such as Elizabeth Taylor, but nobody was speaking directly to teenagers. And I think. When people say that Madonna has appropriated gay culture, this is when you look at people that I know for a fact she individually saved. And I have some friends that didn't make it through to the next year, and that still resonates and stuff like that. It's a very important period. Uh, Vogue. Oh, okay, we've, we've talked about Madonna as an ally a little bit, but I think uh, Vogue is the first point where she really brought gay culture into the mainstream. Um, and I've been doing a little research because our very first episode was, was about the song Vogue. Um, But I'd never really deep-dived into voguing itself. Now, voguing apparently harkens back to the times of slavery, uh, where slaves would mock their overlords by doing something called the cakewalk, where they would sort of, in their own time, they would do all these exaggerated poses, etc. That eventually evolved into a way of dancing in, in the 1920s to jazz music and blues music and stuff like that. And then, of course, in the 60s, you had the beginnings of what became drag balls, um, which we all probably know that by the 80s, developed into these ghettos, these houses, mainly black, Latino, and trans folk that were getting together and sort of competing, as it were, at these dances and and doing all these moves. And that's when some of the very familiar moves to you uh, were, were first originated. But this is where I really didn't know stuff. Madonna first came across this at the Sound Factory in New York. Now, the Sound Factory was on, I think, West 67th um, uh, Street, and, and basically it had been run by the owners of Paradise Garage, which was gone by this point. Madonna would go there, and DJ Junior Vasquez was pumping away, and she would sit on the speaker and just watch people. This is Madonna with her... I'm breathless, <laughs> hairstyle, would we'll just sit there watching people. Can you imagine going back in time now and watching that? And she kind of decided in that point that she wanted to make music like that. So Like A Prayer has got a very live acoustic sound. And I think that's when she commissioned Ch- Chet Pettibone to do that house remix of Express Yourself. At the same sort of time as people were starting to see it, there was a gala called The Love Ball, which took place in May of 89 in New York. And that's when fashionistas, a lot of artists first saw voguing happening. By July of 89, Malcolm McCarran released Deep in Vogue, which is uh, an homage, a brilliant song. And that was in conjunction with the filming of Paris is Burning, which was not released for a few years later. But voguing was really starting to become something. This is a fascinating fact. One of the remixes of Deep in Vogue was William Orbit. And the singer is called Lourdes. Mm, not a coincidence. It's Yeah, it's great. Um, after that, um, Keith Herring, who we'll talk about a bit in a, in, in a moment, also managed to um, do something called uh, a, a sort of a, a Voguing Chicago Vogue ball post or what have you. But Madonna actually introduced Voguing to the, the world much sooner than we think. So at the MTV Awards in September 1989, she performed Express Yourself. And if you ever watch that, two things to know she's got terrible hair. Uh, you no, know, she does. Madonna, no, she does. She, she looks like Helen Mirren on Speed. It's very, it's very Blanche Devereux Golden
3: Girls. It is, yeah. yeah.
0: But she's also doing, her, Donna and Nikki are doing moves that we see later in the Vogue video and on Blonde Mission. So that was the introduction. Um, but what happened then also, uh, and you might know this, so she did a film called Dick Tracy with Warren Beatty. Because her tour had got cancelled, she was able to record some extra songs for it, which became the I'm Breathless soundtrack. And apparently it was Warren that wanted another song, one more song that was written from Breathless Mahoney's perspective. Now, this is where accounts sort of differ. But at the same time, Shep Pettibone had been commissioned to do a bit of dance music because that was the new direction that Madonna wanted to go into. So, and she wanted to experiment. This is where he came up with one track of music. Madonna wrote the lyrics uh, and melody on the plane from New York to a makeshift studio um, in New York that was in a basement. And this old closet was used as the recording booth. And that's where, in in like November, December, she performed Vogue, uh, recorded Vogue. um, And that was then chosen to be the the big single. Um, if If ever you get a chance to read Mary Gabriel's book that Jonathan talked about earlier, it goes into so much depth. It's all about how the dancers for Blonde Ambition were recruited, and it's about the video. It goes into so much detail about how the video was made, but most prominently, David Fincher, very famous director now, and actually back then, directed it as a favor to Madonna, because he'd persuaded her to do, to release Oh Father as a single. She hadn't wanted to do that, but he wanted to do a video. uh, And it kind of flopped, Uh, you know, this is a Madonna flop, it got to like number eight in the US or something like that. So she, so as a favor, he directed that video. They went to the studio with no real plan. They sort of found the costumes there and came up with the idea, and this is an example of when really creative people get together. And, you know, it's just pure magic. Vogue has gone on to be one of her biggest hits. In fact, it's easier to say where it wasn't number one. I've got a list of the countries where it wasn't number one. It only got to number two in Switzerland. It only got to number two in the Netherlands, only to number four in Germany, and only number seven in Austria. It was number one pretty much everywhere else. And as you've seen, if you don't already know, it's, it's, it's a very popular song with, uh, <laughs> with men on, and ladies of a certain persuasion. Um, Nick, from Great Heights, people fall, don't they? And and sort of, there was a bit of a backlash after this wonderful period as Madonna entered her erotica sex period. And I think the most shocking thing is she was actually accused of having AIDS.
4: Yeah, I think this probably speaks a lot to sometimes... I mean, I say this as a member of the press. The press can sometimes have a lack of empathy. I think because Madonna had done so much uh, HIV, AIDS activism, people presumed it had to be because she was HIV-positive herself. They couldn't understand that it was just because she wanted to help a community that had, had really helped her and that was really struggling. Uh, so, yeah, she, in 1992, um, her publicist did put out a very short statement, basically saying, Madonna is not HIV-positive. HIV but then later in the year, at the um, AMFAR fundraising benefit that we spoke about earlier, she gave a speech um, and said, yeah, I'm not HIV-positive, positive, but so what if I was, which is the kind of perfect response. And then segued into talking about the most important thing to have is support and empathy for people who are living with this disease. Um, There's some of the bravest people out there. Um, She said something which is really powerful, that if she was HIV positive, she would be more scared of the reaction from people than actually having to deal with it, because there was so much stigma at the time. So she really kind of put a really important statement out there. And I actually interviewed someone um, a few days ago uh, about Madonna, and he was someone from the UK, and he said that he can remember reading reports about what she'd said at this benefit in LA um, in, the, in the British newspapers, and it made a huge difference to him at the time because her response had been so kind of bullish. and said, I think he just said, yeah, the fact she was like, yeah, so what if I was HIV positive? It's, it's not a reason to judge me. He found that incredibly inspiring at the time. Um, so, yeah, I think it was... I think when we talk about Madonna's HIV AIDS activism, there are certain things that, you know, there's things that come up on Twitter most often, which is the, often the like a prayer uh, inlay fact sheet, which was amazing. But I think this statement that she did in 1992 should be right up there too, because it was kind of incredible at the time. Debbie.
1: Yeah. I was just gonna say, I find, I'm, I've, I've obviously seen that statement, and it's so powerful at the time, but also it's so relevant even now, Um, and especially now when treatment is so fantastic if you're diagnosed kind of on time you're going to live as long as anyone else most people only take one tablet a day they don't have side effects so a lot of the physical aspects of HIV are so much easier to deal with but it's the stigma the attitudes of other people and the lack of public awareness that have the biggest negative impact on people's lives and I I think, you know, how many years ago? We're talking about 20 years ago, but she was so articulate in making that point, and it's still so true.
0: Yeah, very much so. Um, another character that's featured heavily in her 80s life um, that was, we sadly lost in early 1990, before the release of Vogue, was Keith Haring. Now, I think we're all very aware of Keith Haring's work. I know, yeah, I can see it there. Um, I know, Peter, you, you're a fan. Uh, yeah. I am, yes. <laughs>
3: I think I like the fact that they mirrored one another. So that, again, sort of picking up where Martin left off, their trajectory is so exciting. So uh, what started off as a street artist, very much in the style of like Banksy, he just used to scrawl his little doodles, as they were then, um, just on the tube. So you might pass a poster on the tube and it would just grow day by day. There was more herring each day. Look back now, and it's a great way of getting your brand established. But that's what he was all about. People accuse him of repetitiveness. It was brand. So he was a pop artist in the truest sense. It wasn't something that you might put on your wall as a gallery. It was living. It was breathing. And I think she really enjoyed the fact that it was an inspiring way for her to view it as well. That Haring quite often refers to it as being he was starting um, a a momentum. He was starting a cause. And I think that's sort of what Madonna did as well. It's like the 80s was synonymous with Madonna. They never actually worked professionally together. They've rubbed along in one another certain times. Um, whenever he would like, decorate her clothing, I always found that quite exciting.
0: Well, it was the birthday party that he had in 85. Yeah. Well, well, or 84. If you look
3: at the awful Jersey girl, working girl, pink leather suit, oh, it's vile. Double-breasted zips. <laughs> But he put his artwork on it and it turns into a piece of her body, his art. It's going to be amazing. But yeah, phenomenal. I think it was Sound Factory and she's rolling around on a bed performing like a virgin. And that was incredible to see. So so it's always like I refer to it. I think we have talked about this before, but I've referred to it as like a clap back. So they kind of had a a beneficial relationship his artwork was promoted by Madonna. And um, something again, we love a deep dive. Um, one of um, Vivian Westwood's first shows called Witches, that's the really short skirt in Borderline. So that's a Vivian Westwood original inspired yeah. by the artwork of um, Keith Haring on Madonna's body. And I just love that, that it's a, a reciprocal thing. And the other thing that like always makes me laugh, um, the press was so harsh to Madonna in the 80s. But Keith Haring, as a wedding present, took all of the vile National Enquirer covers and just doodled on them. So he took really negative things, but made them into a positive. And it was a joint wedding present between him and Andy Warhol to her and Sean Penn. I can see Sean Penn probably didn't like it as much (laughs) as she did. Um, But it was a set of six, but we only know where four are. So um, maybe for the prize draw, we could (laughs) cut them down.
0: Um, yeah, <laughs> he's throw me at that point. <laughs> Debbie, did you have something you wanted to say there?
1: I was just going to say, we could recreate them.
0: We could try and recreate them. How do you feel, Peter, that you, know, you can get a, a Keith Haring t-shirt in Primark now? I'm, he, he
3: probably would love it. He gave his work away for free. He quite often would do a doodle or he would give a pin badge. So... It's bad that some... uh, If they were giving the money back to a cause or a charity, I don't have a problem with it, but I actually think his idea of brand building, he would actually be quite chuffed with it if there was some connection.
4: I think the best thing I've ever heard anyone say about Keith Haring was by uh, Honey Dijon, the DJ and producer, who is a Madonna collaborator too. And she described his work as being like hieroglyphs for the soul. Um, And I think if you think of it like that, the fact that you can get something a bit soulful in Primark or H&M is kind of amazing in a way. So, yeah, I, I feel like he'd probably, if he was getting a good cut, he'd be happy with it.
0: Yeah, it's, it's something that Madonna's often... Uh, people use it to attack her by saying that she commercialised a lot of stuff, but that's she's just bringing art out to the masses, which is, is wonderful. I saw some brilliant quotes about her, about uh, gay men. Uh, uh, one of them was, um, if you were a gay man, would you be a top or a bottom, Madonna? To which she responded, I am a gay man. <laughs> and she also once said, behind every great man, there is a great ma- woman. And behind every great woman, there is a gay man. <laughs> um, listen, we're, we're kind of different generations here. You, you two are a very similar age, aren't you, I think? Yes, I've he just about, looks a lot younger. <laughs> <laughs> I've talked about my experience as being a teenager during the 80s and how scary it was and stuff like that. Um, but it's a different kind of s- scariness. I'm, it must have been, I imagine, you two when you were coming out.
4: Yeah, and I think, actually, the kind of... the ongoing stigma around HIV and AIDS still affects the way that gay men interact now. Like, if you open Grinder now, there'll be so many profiles, especially if you went a mile down the road to Elephant, um, which would say, BB only. And the reason that bareback sex is kind of really kind of prized the last few years is because when we were growing up, we were told it was dirty, wrong, dangerous, and because we've got this amazing thing called PrEP now that makes it safe, guys have really kind of, as you would, in a a really good way, really embraced the fact that they can have safer um, bareback sex, and it's become a huge thing. I mean, I wrote a piece on this a few years ago for Vice, and one of the guys I spoke to said, raw is law in Elephant and Castle, because... It's all anyone wants, because for so many years we were told that that was something that was a huge risk. So yeah, um, I think sometimes we don't realize how generational trauma kind of is, is still, still lingering um, in think, quite su- subtle ways, actually. I
3: think like, I view myself as like section 28 generation, so it's interesting to hear like the other sides of it. But to me, for most of the eight, I know that my RE teacher was gay. He knew that I was gay but he couldn't communicate to me that I would be okay. It's, it's a subtle thing that we have between us. It's, you, you can tell. It, Gaydar exists for a reason, it's because we can tell. But I, I know that he knew that I was struggling, but you can't have that conversation because he'd lose his job.
4: I had a really similar experience. I remember my careers tutor, when I was applying to uni, um, he was trying to tell me in like our one-on-one meeting that like uni's a place where you can go and reinvent yourself, you can come out, but he, was, he obviously knew I was gay because it's quite obvious but he couldn't he was tying basically like dancing around in circles trying not to say it's a place where you can come out um I have so many experiences like that with teachers I had a RS teacher who based a GCSE lesson around Ray of Light because the album had just come out (laughs) and it was obviously a spiritual album and I was obviously like wrapped in this lesson I was loving it I mean probably everyone else was like what the fuck's going on um my head of sixth form I remember like was always very like Kind of supportive of me but he couldn't say that he was gay like the first time i went to brighton pride 10 years later i saw him I was like, "Oh, of course and it's just yeah you kind of when you look back at section 28 there were it, 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 it was it was a, a cloud over silence. our heads that we didn't yeah, yeah. know there was there at the time and
3: i think because we weren't allowed to have those conversations i was not allowed to know he is a gay man of 35 who is living a perfectly normal life i associated my gayness with death it was the idea that if I say I'm gay,
0: I am committing myself to the disease. J- Jonathan, you being a bit younger, I think you've told us before about how when you came out, the biggest worry from your mother was around HIV. Yes, well, it was 2003
2: when I decided uh, I had something important to reveal to her. Walked into the living room and she was watching Sex in the City, an episode in which they were in a gay bar, and there were half-naked men on the bar. And I thought... Maybe we should switch this off, Mum. <laughs> Sat her down and said, I've got something important to tell you, and she said, you've got someone pregnant. And I said, no, kind of the opposite. And when I told her that I was gay, she, the first thing she said was, I don't want you to die of AIDS. And as a 15-year-old, it didn't even cross my mind. It wasn't a part of my world. It definitely had an awareness of the attachment of public idea around AIDS and being a gay man. But I think a lot of the TV ads that were running earlier and the Section 28 stuff didn't filter down so much in a a really positive way, obviously. Um, And then I think today, what's a 25-year-old today experiencing? You know, I think it's probably far better.
3: But I think that's tantamount to what these guys do. So the shift that they made between, like what was it, 93 to 2003, that's all because of what you do. Well, well, that's
0: something I want to talk about because we've talked about how this is a benefit... um, fundraiser um money that we make today um where would that go to exactly debbie
1: well let me tell you the good news about hiv and kind of where we think we can get to so i hope i hope the people in the room know this but i'm going to say this for the people that are listening um most people living with hiv in the uk the vast majority of them have an undetectable viral load and that means they literally can't pass hiv on to anyone else so most people living with hiv can't pass it on Loads of people at risk of HIV are taking PrEP, and that's something that's only available on the NHS in England because of the work of the whole HIV sector, including National AIDS Trust, that the NHS to court, to make it possible. Thank you. It creates a virtuous circle. So more people testing more often, then more people taking PrEP, fewer people able to pass it on, and that means the numbers of new people getting HIV is reducing. It's reducing for the first time over the last five or ten years since the beginning of the epidemic. And we think if we carry on doing what we need to, we can end new transmissions of HIV in the UK by 2030. And that is huge. Wow. But we can't do it without the kind of support that you're providing.
0: We we are here to support you. Uh, I guess that answers my question of why things like that Live to Tell moment last month is still important. It's still important to get the message out.
1: It absolutely is, and there are still people acquiring age and a- a- HIV, and actually a lot of them are very young because they aren't necessarily getting those messages in school now. It's, it's funny, Section 28 has gone, but also the focus on HIV has gone, and it's really only recently that the government passed new rules to allow LGBT-friendly sex education in schools, and that is not happening everywhere, and especially for young trans people. Um, and so I think there's a lot more to do, and the stigma... Remains enormous, but there's so much more hope now than there was before. And I think that, you know, by not allowing that hope to pass us by and by not losing those opportunities, that's how we pay tribute to those people that died in the past.
0: There's so much to get through today. Um, I'm afraid I have to tell you that our Madonna karaoke has gone uh, just because we've got a few things to. It honestly isn't because Peter promised that he wanted to sing Ray of Light. Uh, <laughs> I've got a microphone we, we, we're, we're going to end this live episode section now on that very positive message uh, from uh, Debbie but we are going to open our, our shop Peter what can people buy at the shop of which all proceeds go to the charity um, what can they the get USA's there Trust.
3: Um, we've got specials that are on today in the far corner so online at the moment it is um, uh, for sale for 25 Uh, For a t shirt here today, it's 22.50, and obviously, you'll save the postage. And we're doing a bundle of the foil print and the t shirt for 45 pounds. So that is a saving of 15 pounds. I sound like I'm doing a raffle now. Um, There is a raffle. Yeah. if every, everything goes to support um, uh, National Age Trust, and it's uh, an amazing cause.
0: And we've also got that raffle. Raffle tickets are available from the same people or anybody that's collected. We've got the buckets. It's simple. You buy a strip of five tickets for five pounds, um, and when we call the prizes in about, oh, about an hour's time, you could be a winner. We've got a whole set of vinyls from Rhino Records. Is, is Matt from Rhino Records here? No, not here yet. So, uh, Basically, basically they were delivered to my house in Cardiff too late for me, so I'm going to have to post them on. We've got other brilliant things. We've got that Gary Heery um, framed print and stuff like that. Some of it's on display, some of it's in the paraphernalia you've seen, but it's just all an opportunity to buy strips and strips of tickets. You don't have to get just one. We want to raise as much pos- money as possible. We know that everything that happened today is gonna to be passed back to Madonna directly from the record company. She will be aware of the amount that we raise. And who knows, we might even get a, a message back in some way. We are so grateful for everything that Madonna's done um, in the promotion of sex ses, uh, safe sex and breaking down the stigma of HIV and AIDS. Without a doubt, and we all know this, we need to talk about it more. The gay culture as it is today is thanks to Madonna, whether it's for bringing vogue to the masses all the small things that she did, and the way that she still champions people like Keith Herring today. You know, few people have had that effect on the gay community. Least of all, uh, a, a five foot four girl from, uh, from Rochester in, D- in Michigan. Um, and we're going to celebrate her hugely as ever. Jonathan, you need to get down there now and start DJing. We're, we're going to put some music to. on shortly. We're going to have about half an hour where you can dance, buy some drinks, buy some raffle tickets and merchandise. And then we've got a brilliant performance from Her the Queen. I don't know if you know Her the Queen at all. I've seen the set list and we are getting candy shop. Madonna may not have got it this time. We're actually getting a version of it. Um, So yeah, dance to sing, get up and do your thing as ever. And thank you once again for coming Inside the Groove.
3: Can can I just have... um, Just just because I'm the wet one... Um, just want to say a huge thank you to Debbie. Huge thank you to uh, Chris for putting all of this together. Um, everyone at National AIDS Trust who's been incredible helping us pull it all together and huge thank you to these guys as well because um, it's a lot of fun and yes. we've thoroughly enjoyed yes. it. Especially
0: it is- to James who brought the idea to us in the first place. Thank you yes. so much. Thank you. thank you.
1: And from me, thank you so much everybody for being here and thank you guys and James. <laughs>